Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Imagine growing up and everything that you wore, everything you ate, what you thought was pretty much controlled by a religion. My guest today is none other than Julia Hart. And this basically what I just said before describes her life. What she wore, what she ate, what she thought was controlled by the dictates of ultra-Orthodox Judaism. At age 19, After a lifetime spent caring for her seven younger siblings, she was married off to a man she barely knew. For the next 23 years, her marriage would rule her life. Eventually, when Julia's younger daughter, Miriam, started to innocently question why she wasn't allowed to sing in public, run in shorts or ride a bike without being covered with neck to knee, Julia reached a breaking point. She knew that if she couldn't or didn't find a way to leave, her daughters would be forced into the same unending servitude that had imprisoned her. So Julia created a double life. In the ultra-Orthodox world, clothing has a purpose, to cover the body, head to toe, and giving any thought to one's appearance beyond that is considered sinful and an affront to God. But when no one was looking, Julia would pour over fashion magazines and sketch designs for the clothes she dreamed about wearing in the world beyond her orthodox suburb. She started preparing for her escape by educating herself and creating a freedom fund. At the age of 42, she finally mustered the courage to flee the fundamentalist life that was struggling, strangling her soul. Within a week of her escape, Julia founded a shoe brand and within nine months, she was at Paris Fashion Week. Just a few years later, she was named creative director of La Perla. Soon, she would become co-owner and CEO of Elite World Group 
and one of the most powerful people in the fashion industry today. Along the way, her four children uh, have not only accepted but embraced her transformation. Julia is a force of nature, really. Her story is incredible, and I think she is a powerhouse to be reckoned with on many, many different levels. She is also a kind-hearted soul that just has a huge passion for people and and helping women that are feeling like they are they are trapped and and in a position of bondage where they currently are. So I think that you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation that Julie and I have. She has a brand new book out called Brazen, My Unorthodox Journey from Long Sleeves to Lingerie, which you can go and get a copy of. Links will be in the show notes below. And she's also the star of the Netflix show or doco series, My My Unorthodox Life. So if you do get something from this conversation, please do share it around to all your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one. Also, my friends, before you go, my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down is now still available for pre-order. It is coming out in just under three months, which is honestly uh, nerve-wracking and exciting at the same time. And I hope that you guys go and get a copy of that. Links for the book will be in the show notes below. If you are, uh, it doesn't matter what part of the world you're in, you can still get a copy of the book and I'll make sure the links for that are below for you guys to make it easy. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It's time to journey with me into the story box and learn about the unorthodox journey, the wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Julia Hart. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here, Julia, and unbox more of your incredible story. I mean, I was reading up about it. It is quite wild. It is all like honestly incredible. So I do want to touch on a few things in just a moment. Before we do that, my very first question for you is, what does success look like for you? Oh, what a good question. Um, I think to me, I am a, I am always a person who wants to grow and learn, I always say, I'm a project, you know, that's still uncompleted. Um, So success to me, when I will really feel that I've achieved success is when I have my army of financially independent women. When I can help as many women as humanly possible to write their own story, go for their dreams, demand their say, and not wait their turn. That's what success will look like to me. When was the moment that you realized that that, that this would be success for you, hopefully one day in the future? <laughs> I think when I walked out the door, it was all about freedom. And first it was freedom for myself and my children. But then when I started my shoe brand, I realized that freedom for myself and my kids is amazing. It's not enough. I wanted to free women from this concept of suffering for beauty. I want to free women from this idea that they have to be proper or well-behaved. Those words only exist in relation to women and children. They don't exist in relation to men. You know, you don't hear a proper man. You hear she's a very proper young lady. Or, you know, those are the expressions that I want to eradicate from our zeitgeist and our vocabulary. And until I do that, I will not feel that I'm successful. What is real freedom? 
to me, real freedom is being able to be unequivocally and unapologetically yourself and not having to ask permission to live your life. That's freedom, whether it's financial freedom so that you don't have to ask to buy something or to go somewhere or the freedom to work, which is something I wasn't allowed to do or to sing or speak or dance or achieve your dreams. It's the freedom to be inherently, innately the best version of yourself and the wherewithal to do that. If someone right now was to say to you, Julia, I, I can't see myself living a, that version of freedom, how would we help them be able to live that version of freedom you just described? I think the first thing, and, and wow, you ask great questions. I mean, <laughs> love the question. Um, I love diving in deep straight away, Julia. <laughs> great. You know, in, in Hebrew, there's an expression, which means a good question is half an answer. Hmm, I like and that. And that's really what you've got here. You've got great questions. So to those women, I would say that I know exactly what you feel like because I was miserable into my 30s before I gave myself permission to acknowledge what was wrong in my life. And I think that is the most difficult step is recognizing this is not okay. It's not that I'm flawed for being unhappy. It's that the system is. And I think that's something that women struggle with because we're literally taught to police ourselves, to make ourselves less so that men shouldn't be uncomfortable with us. And we need to stop telling ourselves that story. We need to give ourselves permission to acknowledge what is wrong in our life. And that is the most difficult step. I will agree with you there. Was there a moment before you reached the age of 30 that you did question? Like hey. every moment, but in my mind, what, you know, any kind of extremist belief system or any kind of law um, and, and a system that engenders this inequity between men and women, where biology genuinely defines your set path in life. Yeah. And by being born a man, you're supposed to be doing X and being born a woman, you're supposed to be doing Y and that's it. Right. You as an individual, your unique attributes, capabilities, desires, needs, longing. Those are irrelevant. Women, babies, men, scholars. End of story. And so, you know, I was unhappy my entire life in that world, but I had allowed myself to convince that it made me bad. Yeah, because I would look around me and everyone seemed happy. Everyone else accepted that women are supposed to be silent and subservient, that they can't study the very laws that govern their life. Nobody else was questioning it. So I thought, oh my goodness, something is inherently wrong with me, that I'm not okay with being told that my intellect is inferior to a man, that I'm not okay to be told to go sit in the kitchen and keep my mouth shut. And it wasn't until my daughter, Miriam, as a baby, as like a three to five-year-old, started asking the same questions I'd had in my mind for the last 20 years, hearing them out of the mouth of a baby, they couldn't convince me that my three-year-old was bad. Mm. And so to hear her give voice to the questions that had been silent in my head, that's what gave me permission. She gave me permission. 
Mm. This very, it would seem very ordered way of doing things in life. I wanted to ask you, what is specifically wrong with that way of living? Is there, what did you notice is the problem with it? Well, I would say two things. Number one is this concept of biology defining your destiny. That's the biggest problem because not all men want to be forward facing leaders. Not all men want to be the rabbi and the Talmudic scholar. Some men love to be caregivers and want to stay at home and raise children. Some women can't have children, biologically in, unable to do so. Are you saying that they have no purpose in life, that they're somehow inferior to women who can have children? Well, if a woman's only purpose in life is to have kids, then what's that woman's purpose? Mm -hmm. There are women who want to be mothers and who love being mothers, but there are women who want to be businesswomen, who are forward-facing, who are intellectual, who do question and want to invent and innovate and create. And the fact that they're not allowed to do so because they're a woman is the problem. When your biology is the sole definer of your destiny, then there is no individuality and there's no uniqueness. So that's the biggest problem. The second problem is this concept that a man is incapable of controlling himself and a woman is responsible for men's behavior. It's a ludicrous concept. Yeah. My life has to be this big, so a man shouldn't have to control himself. A woman can't sing in public because a man might hear her voice and have bad thoughts. She can't dance in public for the same reason. She can't speak in public for the same reason. She shouldn't be an actress or go on television or do go to college, all of this, so that a man shouldn't have to control himself. Yeah. A man should, a woman has to make herself this small so that a man never has to say, oh, I shouldn't do this. I was taught when Hurricane Sandy happened that it was my fault and the oh. other women in my community's fault because the wigs we were wearing to cover our hair were too long. And so we were attracting men's attention even though our hair was covered. And because of that, God brought Hurricane Sandy to annihilate property and kill people and cause all this devastation. That was my fault. So that whole concept that women have to disappear themselves so men should not be taken away from their concentration on Torah study and that they don't have to ever worry about sinning, that is the other subset of laws that are so problematic. What happened to your identity as a growing up? I have no identity, meaning yeah. who I intrinsically am as a human being. I'm outspoken. I'm a learner. I'm, I'm an intellectual. I love to study. I love to grasp new materials. Forget about being allowed to read secular literature. I wasn't even allowed to read half the books in my own community. The Talmud, where all the laws that govern our lives are taught, is in Aramaic. Men are taught Aramaic. Women are not. We are taught that if a father teaches the Talmud to his daughter, he's teaching her prostitution. Wow. An educated woman is a dangerous woman. Okay. I was literally taught, Julia, don't talk. Don't learn these books. Don't study these books. And my God, if you do, don't tell anyone, right? Don't argue with your husband. You know, a month before I left my community, 
um, I got called into the rabbi's office. Now, don't forget, I'm 42 years old and I'm still being called into the principal's office. Right. What was my big sin? My big sin was that I danced provocatively at my friend's wedding for her 18 year old daughter. Okay. Now, if you realize that this dancing provocatively takes place in a room where there's only women, right? Because men and women are segregated. Men and women don't dance in the same room at a wedding. If it's the same room, there's a brick wall or a metal wall or a wooden wall between the two so that they can't see each other. So I look at this rabbi and I said, very politely. Um, so I'm just trying to understand there are no men there and you don't believe in lesbianism. So who am I provoking? Mm. Right. I mean, I, I'm dancing provocatively. Who is it that I'm provoking if there's no guys and there's no lesbianism? Well, okay. Then who am I provoking? Now that would be bad enough, but the big problem is add to that the fact that my husband got called into the rabbi's office and he was told control your woman. It's your responsibility to make sure that she is well-behaved. And that's the dynamic. You as a 42 year old are not even in control of your own behaviors. Your husband is your Lord and master who's supposed to control his woman, right? And so there was this massive dichotomy between who I was as a human being and who I was told I had to mold myself and force myself into to be beloved by God. It's crazy. Pretty honestly, crazy. crazy. I didn't know, like when I was reading it, I'm like, this is, this is honestly insane, but there's a lot of people that actually still live like this. And obviously I want to be respectful as well to a lot of other people's beliefs because that's what they believe. Like they've got no other choice, really. They feel like they've got no other choice. The way that I look at it is there's Judaism and there's extremism and those yeah. have nothing to do with each other. And the proof that the way I lived has nothing to do with authentic Judaism is that those same rules exist in fundamentalist Islam, in fundamentalist Christianity, in yeah. fundamentalist Mormonism. It's all the same rules. Women are covered. They can't, they don't get educations. They're married off as teenagers. It's all the same. Yeah. I think religion is beautiful. I think Islam is beautiful. I think Christianity is beautiful. I think Judaism is beautiful. I have no issues with any of those religions. It's when you take something to an extreme and you apply archaic laws that have been disproven today, right? Go back 200 years. Everyone thought women were inferior. Everyone thought women couldn't vote, couldn't be educated. I mean, go into the 1970s in the United States, a woman couldn't get a mortgage or apply for a credit card without a man. Go in the 70s in the BBC, a woman wasn't allowed to wear pants. So go back not even 100 years, go back 80 years. This is how women were treated. But the world has recognized that A, men are capable of controlling themselves and B, Women are capable of being forward-facing leaders and revolutionaries and movers and shakers. And so it's those archaic laws that I fight against. Yeah. Nothing to do with any religion at all whatsoever. I, I grew up in a conservative Christian home. There was a lot of restriction too. We weren't allowed to watch movies 
pass a certain rating. And even then they had to be like looked at by my parents first before. And even then, like if it said one swear word, whatever it is, then we weren't allowed to watch it. So I, I understand to some extent about this extremism. And nowadays I'm still trying to wean out a lot of the things that I was taught that I now don't necessarily agree with. It takes so long. Are you still trying to get rid of some of those ideas yourself? Oh my God. Yes. Like I always think to myself that I've come past the place where I think men are smarter than I am and that I'm subservient, obedient to them. But I still find myself being too trusting, assuming what a man tells me is true, allowing love and my caring for a man to denigrate myself. So I'm still a work in progress. I'm still trying to eradicate those. I mean, it's deprogramming yourself. It is. And it can take a lifetime. And it's not a logical process because none of those beliefs were logical to begin with. You know, the first time I had sex with a total stranger, a non-Jew on a couch, I did it with my wig on my head. (laughs) This makes no sense. Like, dude, you're naked. But I was too scared to take off my wig. And that's how deprogramming works. It's not logical. It's the things that are, the fear of punishment of certain things are so ingrained in you that you're just petrified, pure, unadulterated fear of punishment. And God, this punishing God, this angry, mean God was as real to me as the microphone in front of your face. Yeah. I I thought, because I I was addicted to pornography for a, a while and as a growing up in a conservative Christian household, we were always like some, some Sundays and some youth group messages would always be about what's going to happen to us if we do end up watching it. And it's like, God's going to rain down fire and brimstone and all the yeah. bad things that do go and happen in your life are a result of you sinning against God. And I was just like, hang on a minute. So I, every time I'd watch porn, I'd feel immense amounts of shame and fear even more so than, you know, because that's what I was taught. And so yeah. it's just like this crazy shame and fear. Exactly right. Yeah. And it's like, we've got to try and help people get out of this fear state. And it, that that's the hard part I've found Julia is you still have those moments of remembering what you've been taught and it's traumatic and then you fear again and then you're trying to, it's just nonstop. <laughs> it's really, really hard. Do you have any strategies at all that you've learned to sort of stop yes. yourself? So this is what I, 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 I get, I'll give three pieces of advice that I use every day. I said, there's two kinds of fear. There's fear of the unknown and there's fear of punishment. Eradicate the, fir- the, the, the latter and jump into the former. Meaning fear of the unknown, you should use to propel yourself forward. When you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure what I'm doing. That's when you should jump in. When I am afraid of something, that means it's something I haven't tried yet and I haven't perfected, which makes me go for it all the more because that's growth. Mm-hmm. If it's something I'm comfortable I'm doing, then I'm not moving. I'm not growing. I'm not changing. So fear of the unknown, enjoy it. Take that fear and use it as a 
force to propel yourself forward. The more afraid you are of something, the more you should attack it and jump it. Fear of punishment is the diametric opposite of that. Fear of punishment is self-policing. It's the prison in your head. And to that, what I say is, I'll do this in a very abbreviated form because I know we don't have so much time, but um, when my kids were younger and I was already like halfway out the door, they wanted me to take them to a zoo. And I hate zoos. I don't like the idea of anything being caged for someone else's viewing pleasure. It's just, I'm allergic to the whole cage concept, right? Um, and so, but they kept on nudging me to find somewhere. So I took them to the San Diego Zoo because at least there they recreate the habitat. They're not in metal bars and cages. So it wasn't as bad. Okay. And we get to this place and it's this African elk that's supposed to jump higher than any other animal in the animal kingdom. And you're basically like in a safari truck and you go from, you know, like location to location. And the tour guide says, this animal jumps higher than anything in the animal kingdom. Where's the fence? Where's the gate? Where's something that holds it into this enclosure? Mm. And we couldn't find anything. No fence, no gate, no walls. Finally, we give up and the tour guide points to four telephone poles at the corners, at the four corners of this enclosure. Giant, tall telephone poles. And in between the telephones is nothing in between them, except really high up, there is like a half pipe that attaches all the poles. So imagine like you take a round pipe, cut it in half, and you get that C-shape. Yeah. So this big C-shaped half pipe connects these four telephone poles at the very top. And what the tour guide told us is the way that the animal jumps is it goes to the edge of something looks up, gauges the distance, and jumps. This animal would go to the end of the enclosure, look up, see this sea, and think that there was a ceiling. <laughs> and so they never tried to jump. Yeah. These animals could have walked through. There's no fence. There's no gate. It is a fence in their minds because they looked up and saw a ceiling. Yeah. And that to me is so many people. It's in our mind. That shame, that guilt of punishment, that fear of punishment, those are the ceilings and fences that we have been convinced of in our heads while we can walk through. Mm. That's what I want people to have you heard of the elephant rope before? That's no. Cool. So no, I write I write about it in my book, but that story really literally just reminded me of that of, of the elephant rope. And what happens is they trainers, in order to get elephants to stay in their enclosures and whatnot for zoos and things, they will as a, as a baby they will tie this small amount of rope to the elephant, and so the elephant believes that it can't move. And it conditioned that belief until much older. So when they when they get to the adult age, they don't have an, a rope attached to them, but the elephant still believes that it, it has a rope attached to them. So therefore, it won't move. Same thing. Same it same deal. Part of the same deal. And that to me is so many of us 
our prisons are in our heads. We allowed people to convince us and to put this fear of punishment as this half sea pipe or the elephant rope. And it's imaginary. We can walk right through or the elephant can walk right out of its enclosure. And we don't because we have allowed someone to convince us that we can't. Yeah. Those, you've got to change those belief systems quite you've a bit. You've got to eradicate those, the prisons in your head. Yeah. And then I would say the last piece of advice I would give is talk to yourself out loud. The only way to drown out other people's voices is to hear yours louder. And I really mean out loud. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, I can do this. This is my plan for today. And all the people who say I can't, they're the idiots, not me. And just every day, talk to yourself. I talk to myself when I'm in the car. No one, no one's there. I mean, if, if people see? look at me and say, what's he doing? Is he talking on the phone or talking to himself? I don't care. <laughs> it's my time to do it. There, That's I admitted it. No, no one else knew that. Now, now the world will no, know. Everybody. But I talk to myself all the time. I used to have people say, like, Julia, are you talking to someone in the bathroom? I'm like, no, I'm talking to myself. And the story that I tell myself will change depending on what trials and tribulations or what you know impediments are standing in my way that day. But I have to say it out loud and I have to watch myself saying the words because when you bring something into reality by speaking it, it makes it real. So I wanted to ask you about your how your relationship is with your family at the moment. Is it on rocky ground still? Is it stable? How is it at the moment? So of course my, my children are like my best friends in the world. You can't be closer than we are. There's just, I mean, it's just so beautiful. Uh, siblings and parents, nobody talks to me. I left the path. I'm a sinner. Wow. How does it make you feel? Uh, it's really, you know, here's the thing. I don't blame any of them. Zero. Because they're just brainwashed. They were taught that a person who leaves is dangerous, could, you know, uh, could uh, influence them, influence their children, that just being in my presence is dangerous. So there's, I know that there's no bad intent. I know that they just are following the laws. That's why I always say there are no villains in my story. There are only victims. It's the archaic laws that are the problem, not the people. Because my parents and my siblings, they're not following it out of hatred or anger towards me. They're doing it because they think it's right. And how can I blame them for that? If I was there, I'd probably be doing, well, I probably wouldn't be doing the same thing, but at least I understand it. And so, you know, my door is always open and they know that they can reach out to me at any time. Um, I've tried many times to reach out and I'll just keep trying until one day someone answers. Mm. Yeah, keep knocking. Keep knocking. One day someone will open the door. Mm. I have faith and I, and I can't, I, I have zero anger. Like there's just, it's not their fault. It's really not their fault. You don't seem like an angry person to me, to be honest. Yeah, not really an angry person. <laughs> find the silver lining and everything although it's been challenging but you know you have to because otherwise you can't keep going and every time 
you know, everyone has those moments where you feel like, oh, I fought so hard. I've come so far and now this, right? And then, you know, when, um, whenever I feel that way, I look towards the past and women who have fought for freedom in the past. And I remind myself that I am one in a very long line of women who have had to fight for freedom, who have had to push that conversation forward and they didn't give up. You know, um, there's this amazing show on that just closed. Uh, it was called Suffs. It was put, it was produced and acted and written by this incredible woman named Shana Taub. And it was all about the suffragette movement. Mm. Um, and my friend Ellen Gavin sent me there because I was very down, um, you know, and I just like, I've been fighting for my freedom for so long. When is it going to end? And she sends me there. And here they are. They're in prison for just protesting silently. And they're being force fed. And, you know, they're called criminals. They weren't, there wasn't just bad press written about them. They were literally arrested and they didn't give up. And so it's that that gives me strength. And I keep on reminding myself that if I don't continue fighting, the woman that comes after me won't have that example. So I just got to keep going. Yeah. Passionate and persistent are the two words that come to my I'm mind when I think of you. Woman. <laughs> and, and, and your story, honestly, like, because you've just had this and resilience too, I think, just not this never give up kind of attitude. But then another question sort of comes to my mind as I think about that, because you're not, you're not giving up for this freedom, not just for yourself, but for other people at the same time. Do you yeah. think that in, in the future, do you think that is wholeheartedly possible? Because you've got two sides of the equation. One doesn't want that sort of freedom and the other side wants the freedom. And the other side is thinking, well, if we give freedom to these people, then we won't be free as well. So do you think in your opinion that we will get to that stage where or there's this like equal playing field where everyone feels like there's freedom? I think that if we think it's not possible, it won't be. Right. So I think that we have to just see what's possible and keep fighting for it. Because think about it, you know, people assume that change happens instantaneously, but it never does. It just doesn't. It's slow. It's gradual. It's two step forward and one step back two steps forward and one step backwards. So, you know, we need to have enough historical context to remind ourselves that just because we didn't win this year doesn't mean we won't win next year. And just because it takes 10 years or 20 years or 50 years doesn't mean it's not a fight worth fighting. How long did we fight for the right to vote? Over 50 years. Yeah since the suffragette movement came into America, you know? And yet, and look, the ERA has still not been passed. And yet, do women say, oh, forget it, we're not gonna fight? No, they're still fighting. So I just think that, you know, it's interesting. Um, my daughter just graduated Stanford. Wow. And uh, when, when she was there, I used to go every few months and I would take her and like 10 of her friends to this really chic restaurant and I would just, I wanted to hear their thoughts, their, you know, their ideas. These are such brilliant women. 
And there were some things there that gave me hope because like some of these women, these young women, it doesn't occur to them that their intellect is less than a man. It doesn't occur to them that they can't go into the sciences. They don't even see that as an impediment anymore. So we have moved the needle forward a little bit, but we just have a long way to go as evidenced by the latest fiasco that's happening. I just, we can't give up. We give up, it's over. Just gotta keep fighting. What does your ideal future look like, not just for yourself, but for other women too? What's the most ideal freedom future? I think, you know, so many of the impediments that we have are in our minds, right? And women have been told what they can't do since time immemorial, how to behave, be polite, be appropriate, all these words that are just literally reserved for women, well-behaved young lady, all the stuff that we spoke about. And to me, freedom is when a person, whoever they are, is not defined by their biology. Where who they are, what they're capable of, what they can accomplish is regardless of whether they have a vagina or a penis. Yeah. And I think if we get to that place, that where women don't think they need a man to support them and women aren't belittled at work or called badass bitches and where women and men are both, you know, leaders of industry where the, the adjectives used to describe them are the same, where the way people react to them are the same, right? You know, there's just so many things like stupid examples. If a man travels for work, he's a good provider. The woman travels for work, she's a bad mother. Mm-hmm. And you know, when a woman watches her children, okay, well, you're the mom, you're supposed to. When a guy does, it's like, oh, you're so good. You're babysitting your kids. I'm like, dude, they're his kids. He's not babysitting anybody, right? So it's all these kind of things when society and our zeitgeist and our vocabulary equalizes us, when we expect the same from men that we do from women and we give honor, courage, and respect to women like we do to men, that's when I think we will be truly equal. Wow. Yeah, I'm just I'm just picturing what that would actually look like, to be honest. Can you imagine? I mean, I think it's possible. I think we have to believe that it's possible, otherwise it'll never happen. Yeah. For me personally, I imagine a world without hate or disdain for anyone, like both sides of the equation. Like I think why can't we just get along? Oh, why yeah. why is it so hard? You know, but we're yeah. so a lot of people are heavily opinionated with certain things and that causes a lot of problems for both sides of the equation. And I'm like, let's just meet in the middle and try to understand one another because if we don't try to understand one another, then the problems are just going to keep on going and going and going and no one's going to feel like they're being heard and nothing is going to move forward in the right direction at all for anyone. So it's like we end up on this stuck playing field and it's like, well, what's the point here? <laughs> Think about it. What yeah. is extremism? Extremism is my way or the highway. Yeah. Extremism is only this is right, everything else is wrong. That is not a healthy way to live. To no. be 
in, in, in true society with each other, you need to be able to be empathetic to one another, to see one another's point of view, to respect an, a person's opinion and not vilify them for not having a similar opinion to you. I mean, that's the beauty of democracy is our differences. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I, I'm, I'm on the same wavelength with what you want as well. And hopefully by spreading this kind of message, we can detach all the hate and the disdain and we can make a better future for not just one side, but for everyone. I think that is, that is the most ideal way about it and, and the best way to move forward. What that looks like, how we get there. <laughs> that's the well, other question. Entirely. That's the only way, right? It's just yeah. one step, one step, one step. We just got to keep moving forward. Do you have um, any regrets? Oh my God. Well, give me a notebook. How much time do we have? Wait. The second book. <laughs> Julia's regrets. Uh, my, I guess my biggest regret is that it took me until I was 42 to walk out the door. Wow. That's my biggest regret. I mean, I felt it. I knew it was wrong. I felt it in every fiber of my being. I was so miserable. And yet... I was so indoctrinated to believe that I was crazy for feeling that way that it took me until I was 42 years old to walk out the door. That is, you know, a good, I don't know how long I'll be alive, but it's a nice chunk of my life cycle that I lost. I did. I, I will never know what it's like to have a child with someone I love that has been stolen from me, you know, just so many things. So yes, of course, my biggest regret is that, at 19, when I felt that this is all wrong, none of this works for me, I didn't pack up my bags and walk out the door. What do you love the most about yourself and your story? What do I love about my story? Hopefully that it can help someone. Otherwise, oh my God, what the point? What's the point? <laughs> that's, that's to me, the only thing that makes everything worth it is if, my story helps other people write their stories. Yeah. That's it. That's the, uh, that's what keeps me going. So chain reaction. Chain reaction. I, I wanted, you know, when the show came out and then the book came out, women would literally stop me in the street and say, I left my husband because of you. I started a business because of you. I chose not to commit suicide because right. of your story. That's happened to me twice. So, that's the part that gives me joy is that a story can change the world. Yeah. I mean, what is a religion if not a story? What is patriotism if not a story? We tell stories to ourselves. We build empires and communities on stories. So if my story can help other women write their stories, then all of this garbage is worth it. <laughs> I think what we were talking about before, this is really the answer to it. If we can, because stories, they, they change the world. Like they really do. And I am a firm believer that stories like yourself, they, they get into the psyche and more than having a debate, more than having an argument, the story is what changes a person's opinion. And if we can share more stories with people like your story, then, hey, maybe we might have some change the, the right way. Um, 
that's the way I look at it, to be honest. But I think your your story is is powerful, Julia. I've got two quick final questions for you, if you don't mind. Where where can people? Where do you want people to go and get a copy of your book, Brazen? Um, and where do you want them? Like, do you want them to go to Amazon? Where do you want them to connect with you personally? Personally, they can go on my Instagram account and DM me. It's at Julia Hart. Um, and uh, of course, I would really recommend if you buy the when you buy the book to also go to brazenbook.com. There is a link there called Sources. And when you hit it, it's a data dump of the most crazy wild laws, articles, everything to back up what's in the book and give you even more context. Like you won't believe some of the things like, for example, you know, my community, women are not allowed to be photographed, right? They don't, they're not allowed to be. So in all the newspapers and that, I mean, of course they can take pictures of themselves. I mean, into like a magazine or a newspaper. Uh, And so they blank women out. They blob their face or they just disappear them completely. There's just so many things like that. Uh, And I think people would really find that elucidating. So I would suggest that you peruse brazenbook.com sources. And the book is sold anywhere where books are sold. I, you know, you can go on Apple, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere where books are sold, you can find Brazen. Well, I'll make sure everyone knows where to get a copy. Links will be in the show notes below for you all that are listening or watching. Uh, Julia, this is my final question for you. This is my all-time favorite question. I love leaving it till last. It's a hypothetical one, uh, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? I would like people to know that my life has been about the pursuit of freedom. And that I'm far from a perfect person. But I think that if I'm able to leave the world a little, just a smidge, an iota, just an infinitesimal amount better than when I came into it, I think that makes everything worth it. And that's what I hope for, that when I leave this earth, it will be, and maybe it's infinitesimal, but just an infinitesimal way better. It's a beautiful send-off message. Julia Hart, thank you so much for your time today, the second time, and for joining me on the Storybooks podcast. What was that? Sorry? So come visit me in New York. I'm definitely coming to New York. Hopefully by the end of this year, I'm I'm over there. Or maybe maybe next year, who knows? But I'm definitely coming over there. Give you a massive hug. But thank you so much for your time, Julia. I'd love to meet you. That would be awesome. I cannot wait. Thank you. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the Storybox on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. 
And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.